0: Psalm 57, I think um, the words for Psalm 57 will come on the screen if you want to follow on or if you've got your own um, Bibles with you, then um, please look that up, Psalm 57. It says at the top of the version I'm reading, "When he, um, from David, when he had fled from Saul into the cave, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, but I won't sing that. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you, I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Father, as we um, come to listen to what Tim has prepared for us this morning, we pray that we'll be open to you um, and open um, to be challenged and to be changed and to be affirmed as well of who we are in you. Pray for Tim as he comes that you'll bless the preparation that he has done and you'll give him wisdom as he speaks. Amen.
1: Thanks, Kirsty. Morning, everybody. Great to see you here uh, this morning. If you're here for the first time, I wanna uh, extend my welcome to you. It's great to have you here uh, as well. And can I just firstly apologize my voice again, uh, just to keep you in the loop, for those that were interested, not many who well, but I have vocal nodules, uh, which is very exciting, which means that over the next four weeks, you won't hear of me again. Uh, I'm being quiet for the rest of the summer, so, uh, so many of you will go, yee, Claire certainly did. Um, <laughs> We're at the beginning of a new series over the summer called These Are the Days of Our Lives, where every week uh, we're gonna be hearing from different people as they reflect on the stage of life that they're at and what difference their faith makes to them at the stage of life they're at, uh, particularly reflecting on a particular Bible character that resonates with them. Uh, and by way of kind of introduction, I'm sort of kicking that off a little bit this morning. Um, over at Bourneville right now, we've got uh, Anthony Agamar and uh, Andrea Haynes speaking. At uh, the stage they're at, there's kind of people in their early 20s, life ahead of them, uh, single, what is the world gonna look like? Uh, and so there's lots of things coming up over this. So do take the flyer, invite your friends. It promises to be a, hopefully a really interesting as you hear real people, their real stories, and the way that f- the faith makes a real difference in their lives. And today, we're gonna set the scene by reflecting a little bit for those of us for whom life has worked out differently than the way they thought it would. That could be for a whole variety of reasons. It could be that for health reasons, you're in a different place now than you thought you would be, than you hoped you would be. It could be that you are married and you never thought you were, and frankly, if you're honest, you wish you weren't. It could be that you're single, and you hoped and you thought by now that you would be settled down and married, uh, but for whatever reason, that has not been the case. It could be that you are a couple and you by now thought you would have children, And for whatever reason, that has not worked out. It could be that you're a couple and you do have children and you wish it wasn't the case, particularly over summer with all that's going on. It could be that you're in a job that you never thought you'd be in. It could be that you were hoping by now to achieve those things to make a difference in this world and it just hasn't happened. It could be by now at the stage of life you're at, you thought you'd have made more impact on this little round circle of dust that we have in our solar system. It could be for whatever reason, life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. And we're simply gonna reflect this morning on what we do with that. And to do that, we're gonna use two different people. The first is a well-known person who wrote the psalm that we just read. King David in the Old Testament. We're gonna be reflecting just a little bit on his life but then particularly on this psalm. This psalm is a really important psalm. This psalm in some monasteries is said every single week on a Tuesday because it's such an important psalm. Thomas Cranmer put it in the Book of Common Prayer to be said once a month because it was such an important psalm. Many, many themes in here. So we're gonna be looking at King David a little bit and why he wrote this and what was going on and what that might say to those of us for whom life looks a bit different. But we're also gonna be looking, having somebody else join us. And that is this person here. He's gonna be accompanying us on our journey this morning. Uh, I won't ask if there's any art critics here this morning because you'll know a lot more about this painting if you are. But this is a painting by Picasso and it's called Blind Man's Meal. And it's of course from his blue period. I say that because it is blue. And of course if you know anything about his different periods, the blue period was a very sort of melancholy period where things were not going in his life how he thought and society as he looked at it was very sort of melancholy and so he painted this picture with an unnamed man that we don't know who it is. and It's flooded with an overwhelming sense of burden or heaviness or uncertainty. And in it, in case you can't see it very clearly, we have, as the title suggests, a blind man sat at a table, groping, trying to find his way. And there's a jug of wine and a loaf of bread. He's wearing a cap and there's a tablecloth. And we're gonna leave that on the screen at various different points as we revisit him. Because there's five things I think from this Psalm in which our friend here in this painting might be able to help us, for those of us for whom life has not worked out how we thought. And the first thing is this. You are not alone in feeling alone. Whatever your circumstances, if you're somebody that your life right now pictures differently how you thought it would be, you're not alone in feeling alone in that. Look again at the beginning of the psalm that Kirsty brilliantly highlighted. These are the bits that we skip over. Let me read it to you. Psalm 57, and it says these words, for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. That sounds like a cheery number, doesn't it? A miktam, no idea what that means, something musical. And then it says these words, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Now if you don't know the circumstances about King David He had been anointed by God's prophet Samuel He had been anointed that he would be king He'd been told by God's man That he would be the king of Israel And here he is in a cave Fleeing from the current king of Israel In other words, David's life looked as though it was going in one trajectory He'd been anointed, he defeated the enemy Goliath He was on a roll, people were singing about him About how David had slain tens of thousands Compared to Saul who just slain thousands He was kind of a player And yet here he is, writing a song to Do Not Destroy in the back of a cave fleeing from the king who wants to kill him. And I guess that's a reminder for many of us in the circumstances we're at, whatever those circumstances are, you are not alone in feeling alone in those. And throughout this morning I'm gonna share one or two personal perspectives because that's kind of the gist of the series. I remember being in a hospital after all that happened with our boys uh, and uh, Caleb's diagnosis with massive brain damage and uncertainty about his future and all that. I remember going out of the hospital into the car park and some of you will know this experience, very surreal experience, where you go suddenly from this world of uncertainty into this normality and there I had to put more money in the car park machine And as I got there, there was another guy who was moaning because he didn't have the right change. And I remember almost holding back as if I wanted to just shout, don't you know what's happening? And here you are moaning because you haven't got the right change to put car park money in. In other words, that moment where you feel so alone as though the world is carrying on, buses are still passing me with people listening to their music and reading their metros. And don't you know what's happening? Well, here is David in the back of a cave, the one who had promised this is how life was gonna go and he's being hunted and has to flee to the back of the cave. In fact, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 21, the end of it, not only that, he has to fake insanity. Friends, you're not alone in feeling alone. And this man, feels and looks so isolated. There's no hint of anyone around him, no hint of anyone helping, no hint of anyone coming to his aid to be able to put the jug in his hand. But I want to suggest that the mere fact that this psalm is here, and psalms like this remind us, friends, aloneness is a very common human experience. You're not alone around the room right now. If I was to ask, and I'm not, to say who feels slightly isolated in their circumstances, I would guess the majority would put our hands up. Friends, we're not alone. I think it's encouraging to know that if just giving you a little window that when we talk to people, we know there's something going on in their life where they feel isolated. But the second thing is this. Not only are we not alone in feeling alone, but actually weakness Can be a gift I don't know if you saw When you see this picture Obviously his eyes Are painted in a certain way That he's just trying to fumble And it would be so much easier If Picasso had painted his eyes That he could see Obviously And yet The beauty of this painting, I think, recognizes what we go through in life. That many of us feel so weak in our circumstances that they are outside of our control, and we wish somebody else would do something about it. The metaphor of blindness throughout the pages of the Bible is fascinating because so often the physically blind people in the Bible are people that God are likens more seriously to the spiritually blind. In other words, so often the physically blind people in the Bible are the ones who can see God and what he's done for them, and yet it's the spiritually blind people who can physically see who don't. And friends, I think that's a helpful reminder for us that weakness can be a gift. Let me explain. David cries out, "'Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy.' Verse two, I cry out to God. Verse four, I'm in the midst of lions. There's an honesty to this psalm that transcends a lot of our faith if we're followers of Jesus. Because many of us think that Jesus is gonna fix all our issues. And yet I want to suggest that sometimes God's greatest gift is in the things we struggle most with. Let me say that again I think sometimes God's greatest gift to us is in the things we struggle most with. Let me read to you about a, a quote from a guy who wrote a brilliant book I've mentioned it before about the Psalms of Lament which is this one where are moaning psalms crying psalms God where are you? And he writes this I'm concerned for well-intended churches whose assemblies of praise and triumph only know how to pray for and celebrate healing, but ignore the chaos raging all around them? Must it be that because we affirm that God reigns, we have to pretend that everything must be okay, or will soon be? Our contemporary praise assemblies are less likely due to a courageous faith and more about fear and acquiescence to a culture that doesn't want to experience the disorientation of life. A church that goes on singing happy songs in the face of raw reality is doing something very different from what the Bible does. Wow! Friends, if you feel weak, you're not alone, and actually God's greatest gift might be in your weakness. Because look at verse two, if you've got your Bibles, don't worry, I'll read it out to you. David says, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. Different translations use the word, God who fulfills his purpose for me. In other words, I cry out to God who's God, and I know he is at work in my life right now. And so friends, the weakness, the uncertainty, the disorientation, the things that aren't as you hoped they would be, God may be doing something in that that is his greatest gift to you. So friends, you're not alone in feeling alone. Friends, weakness can be a gift. But thirdly then, hope is within reach. I love the way this guy, our friend here, is reaching for the wine. He's sort of fumbling it, isn't he? And he's trying to get it and he's not quite sure but he's almost there. And yet, that's a beautiful reality of this psalm. Hope is within reach. Because David cries out at the back of a cave, he's being hunted and yet he cries out. Listen to these words. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. How does David know that? or the next verse. Because he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me, God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. David can say, hope is round the corner because I know God is ascending God. He sends his from heaven and saves me and he sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Hope's within reach. And now, if you know your New Testament, Don't worry if you don't. I wonder if those verses sound familiar. Let me read to you from the book of Galatians chapter four and listen for what the words send. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. So David says, he sends from heaven and saves me. Paul says he sent his son. And then David writes, God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. And Paul writes, God sends his spirit who reminds us that we're children of God, loved by our father and friends. Whatever you're going through right now, as David prayed, I cry out to God, but I know you're the God who's sent to save. And therefore, the reality is this. Even if your life looks totally different to how you thought it would, even if your story has a very different nuance to it, and there are colors in your story that you wish weren't there, there is one thing that is undeniable and is true. And let me read to you a quote from Timothy Keller that sums it up. If we ask the question, why does God allow suffering, and we look at the cross of Jesus, we still don't know what the answer is. However, we know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. And so friends, no matter what, no matter how your story looks, just looking at the cross of Jesus Christ, and asking his holy spirit to fill you to remind you that you're a child of God hope is within reach so that maybe just like this blind man we can find that wine that cup realizing that Jesus came for us you are loved friends so friends you're not alone in feeling alone weakness can be your greatest gift because it forces us to trust in God it leads us to say i've got nothing here and here's the fourth thing hopes within reach and praise is often a choice you may have noticed we've changed the way we lay it, uh, the layout of the room recently and we've done that for a whole variety of reasons and uh, uh, largely the feedback's been positive and it's a work in progress. We're hoping to do more with the backdrop and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things that was interesting in the old layout, if you've been around Riverside a little bit, you'll remember that we had kind of rows here that were facing that way and rows there facing that way and rows there and so on. Many of you will know some of my story uh, over the last few years and many of you will know that Claire was also battling with breast cancer and all that. I remember being stood here facing that way about to preach, singing some words from the song and feeling as though I wanted to be anywhere else but there because frankly, with all that was going on, I'm not sure if I even believed those words, let alone wanted to sing them. And yet in that moment, partly because I knew people were looking at me, I realized, but it wasn't the only reason, I began to realize that in that context, praise is a decision to make, not necessarily something that's just overflowing. Because for some of you, even coming to church this morning is a really difficult thing. It was brilliant when Kirsty earlier on sort of said, where would you rather be? And I would guess that some of us just wanna be swallowed in a hole right now because what's going on in your circumstances, you have no idea how it's gonna pan out. And for some of us, even walking through these doors is such a challenge, let alone singing some of the songs. And yet, and yet, in this context, listen to David's words Psalm 57 again. So he's being chased, he's being, you know, they're out to kill him. He's, he thought he was going to be different, he thought he's going to be king, all this. And then he says these words, verse 7 My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. It's almost as if he's talking to himself. Come on, David, I'm gonna sing. Even though I'm in the back of a cave, I'm gonna praise. And why can he do that? Well, because ultimately he knows the only hope is in God. He can't fix this. The king and his troops are after him. And so therefore, the only one that can is God himself. And so therefore, I'm gonna praise this God because I know he's good, even though I don't know how this is gonna pan out. And I think that's a massive encouragement and a big challenge for some of us that actually sometimes praise is a choice. It's a choice. And having a child with complex disabilities, it's one of those things sometimes where you get all sorts of looks down the street as you're pushing pushing Caleb along and people give a sort of one of two different looks. One is they don't look, they completely look away. The other one, which is a familiar one for people in our circumstances, others will know that look, where you get people looking at you with a sort of slightly forced smile that's a sort of, I feel really sorry for you and it's meant with good intent and good heart and yet, and yet, for those people who've been around complex disabilities, for those people who've been around seriously ill people will know that in amongst the stress, in amongst the pressure, in amongst the pain, there are often profound gifts that transcend our normal human experience profound moments of intimacy and love, profound moments of dependence on other people that we when we're kind of able-bodied and fit and strong have lost because I'm okay on my own, thanks. And I think so too in those moments we can therefore praise God to say God even in this question, in this uncertainty, you're good, you're God. I don't know how this is gonna play out but therefore I choose to praise. So friends, you're not alone in feeling alone. Weakness can be a gift because it means we have to trust in God. Hope is within reach. God himself has sent his son. You are loved beyond your wildest dreams. Praise is a choice, hard though that may be. And fifthly and finally, we return to our friends. So I forget, he, he, he reached the bread, basically. He chose to get the bread, that was the thing. The fifth one is this, you don't have to have it all together. When I first saw the painting, I loved it because I'd missed the tablecloth. See the tablecloth there? And it's almost as if he's doing all he can to keep the tablecloth on with his elbow. <laughs> I have no idea if that's what Picasso meant, but it's kind of coming off the table and he's sort of with all that he's got going on, with his uncertainty, with his blindness, whilst he's reaching, he's trying to hold it all together. Whether that's what Picasso intended, I don't know, probably not, but it resonates with me. Because for many of us, the life we have, the way life has panned out, the hopes we wished would happen have not, And to be honest, we struggle to just hold it all together. Uh, And I think there's some encouraging words from David here that you don't have to have it all together. If I may share one more personal thing because that's what this series is about. I remember after uh, Claire's diagnosis, being in our bathroom with the door locked and sobbing like I've never sobbed before. And it wasn't sobbing because of uncertainty about how this was going to pan out. It was sobbing because I just had nothing more. And I remember in the sobs praying, God, I've got nothing here. I can't do any more. And it was as if in that moment, whilst this deep pain and, you know, mess on your face and all that, You have to go down and try and hide that you've been doing it and wash water and all that. Maybe that's just me. In the middle of that, I I had this sense that that was prayer because ultimately in that moment, I'd come to the end of myself and therefore God had to do it. And it's in this Psalm, you see two, two verses repeated. Verse five, And verse 11, in the middle of this, he's being hunted. It's not panned out how he thought it would be. People are trying to kill him and he's being brave. He's crying out to God. He's saying, I'm gonna praise God. And you see this repeated verse, which is almost as if in that moment where he's trying to hold it all together, he lifts his eyes up. And we read verse five and 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth and it's almost as if I read this as saying David knows that ultimately whatever God is God and God's got this because he's the eternal universal God the one who with a breath made us and so therefore we don't have to have it all together and some of us this morning as we come to respond it's fine to say God I can't do this anymore please please have mercy as David begins the psalm because God's ways are way bigger than our ways his thoughts are way higher than our thoughts what he is doing in our lives we cannot see but God is at work in this world in amazingly beautiful ways and he's the God who loves us we know that by looking at the cross he's the God that we can experience his love now by his spirit and in a community like this we can be open and honest and say I'm really struggling let's walk together towards this God who holds this all in his hands and I end with a quote that I have found personally helpful. I think I've shared it here before, but I will share it again, but I share it with a caveat. Can I say, please, if you're in those situations right now and you're not unsure what's happening, and if you're in those situations and you're not sure whether you call yourself a Christian and you're just beginning to explore and you're hoping that God's there, Or if you're in these situations, you're asking God, why is this happening to me? Please don't hear this quote in an attempt to explain why things might be happening to you, please. But hear what it actually says, because I think if we grasp what this quote actually says, it really is beautiful. Here it is. It's from a book called Wrestling with an Angel by a guy called Greg Lucas who has a seriously disabled son. And he writes these words. I hear religious minded people say all the time with good intentions, God will never place a burden on you so heavy that you cannot carry it. Really? My experience is that God will place a burden on you so heavy that you cannot possibly carry it alone. He will break your back and your will. He will buckle your legs until you fall flat beneath the crushing weight of your load. All the while, he will walk beside you, waiting for you to come to the point where you must depend on him. My power is made perfect in weakness, he says, as we strain under our burden. Whatever the burden is, it might indeed get worse. But I know this, God is faithful. And while we change and get old, he doesn't. And when we get weaker, he remains strong. And in our weakness and humility, he offers us true, lasting, transforming, and undeserved grace. Let's pray, and I'm gonna pray simply that for those of us right now for whom life has worked out differently, that we know that true, lasting, transforming, and undeserved grace. Let's be still for a moment. Father, we invite you now, please, to come and do your work in our hearts, the work that you want to continue to do. Lord, we thank you that our experiences are not unique to us in some respects, that actually as all humanity grapples, we grapple. And yet, Lord, we know when we look at the cross of Christ, when we see all you've done for us, we know that you are for us and you've got us and you hold us. And so, Father, right now, for those who are grappling and battling, please, Holy Spirit, would you come and show them your true, lasting, transforming, and undeserved grace. Would you whisper those words that we would know that we are your children held by the God of the heavens, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.